0: When news breaks, go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app.
1: New developments in the legal drama surrounding former President Donald Trump. Get real-time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays, video highlights from your favorite shows and hosts.
2: Lots of news of all kinds going on right now.
0: And the latest updates on the 2024 election. The rematch is on. It's Trump-Biden part two. Go beyond the what to understand the why. Download the app now at msnbc.com slash app.
3: Tonight on The Readout...
2: We have a duty to get into these agencies and look at how they have been weaponized to go against the very people they are supposed to represent, how they've infringed on First Amendment liberties of the American people, and we're going to do that.
3: Investigating the investigators. House Republicans are getting ready to take a sledgehammer to yet another American institution with the false narrative that the DOJ is unfairly targeting the right. Also tonight, Republicans learned nothing from the election. The new House majority is actively working to take away what's left of women's reproductive rights, voting on two abortion related measures today. And hard to believe it, but George Santos lied about being a star volleyball player at the college. He lied about attending that as New York Republicans call for his resignation. But Kevin McCarthy decided today to reward Congressman Catch Me If You Can instead. And we begin tonight with a noteworthy example of how the FBI can go wrong. Back in the 1960s, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. criticized the FBI, then under J. Edgar Hoover, for failing to enforce civil rights, particularly in the South. Hoover denounced the critique by calling King the most notorious liar in the country. King's public criticism made him a target for Hoover, who singled out the civil rights leader for surveillance and defamation. Under the guise of national security, the FBI began investigating King for alleged communist connections, wiretapping King's home, offices, and hotel rooms. The surveillance failed to find evidence of communist ties and looked instead into King's private life. In 1964, Congress passed the Civil Rights Act. Later that year, King would be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for his nonviolent campaign against racism. Hoover stepped up his malicious effort, all of which culminated in a now infamous letter and blackmail package sent to King's wife, Coretta Scott King. Here's the letter, typewritten, anonymous. The word evil is used six times, calling the recipient King a colossal fraud. It repeatedly condemned King, saying to him, you are done, and there is only one thing left for you to do. The letter read, you know what it is. You have just 34 days. Sam Pollard's 2020 documentary, MLK FBI, explores how King and others interpreted that letter.
1: They put this package together and send it off, uh, saying, King, you know what you have to do, and giving him a deadline by which he needs to do it. Many people have interpreted that to be that you need to kill yourself. And this is one of the ways that King and his confidants who saw this letter interpreted it.
3: Years later, a Senate committee would confirm King's suspicion that the FBI attempted to blackmail him, presumably to commit suicide. Which brings us to the here and now. The new House Republican majority is now co-opting a real piece of history that the FBI is capable of unleashing harassment campaigns, as they did to Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, but saying that this type of harassment is now happening to them. Say, look, the FBI is raiding Trump's Mar-a-Lago to confiscate classified material that could only be federal overreach by the Bureau and the Department of Justice, they say. Ditto on the DOJ investigating Trump for inciting an insurrection in which five people died, including cops. Political weaponization of the Justice Department, they say. Who is it again who tried to use the DOJ to overturn the 2020 election? Thinking, thinking, thinking. But of course, it doesn't count when it's Trump, which is why House Republicans, under Trump's my Kevin, are now obsessed with investigating the investigators, Voting to establish a new special panel to probe what Republicans call the weaponization of the federal government. So what does weaponization of the federal government mean exactly? Oh, right. Republicans using their mustache-twirling powers to try to end probes into conservatives. Which is why Congressman Adam Schiff called this out for what it really is.
1: What it's really intended to do is to undermine the legitimate investigation of President Trump's incitement of a violent attack on this building, on this Capitol, on this citadel of democracy. An investigation that implicates some of the very members of this body who want to sit on that
3: committee. This isn't about weaponization. It's about political whining. This is nowhere near what really happened to civil rights leaders in the 60s when baseless red-baiting devastated black organizations when federal investigators accused an entire movement of being communist and tried to blackmail a Nobel Prize-winning icon to end his life. And yet still, today's Republicans are claiming victimhood status that isn't really for them to undercut legitimate probes on a former president who stole classified documents and incited a mob to overthrow the government. It's the aggressors playing the victim, otherwise known as gaslighting. Joining me now is Jason Johnson, professor of journalism and politics at Morgan State University, MSNBC contributor and host of A Word with Jason Johnson, the podcast known as A Word with Jason Johnson, and former Republican Congressman Francis Rooney of Florida. Thank you both for being here. Jason, I am going to start with you because there is a lot of, 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 of whining and what I would consider co-opting of, of real history on the part of Republicans. Your thoughts, Professor?
0: This is not new to me, Joy. If if I were to count the number of white conservatives and Republicans that quote Martin Luther King and claim they marched with him, you would think there was no black people in the crowd. Because I swear every white conservative apparently was an African-American studies major with the way that they cite Martin Luther King and talk about him and his life and everything else like that, despite the fact that all of their policies are the antithesis of what King stood for. Look, this is all nonsense, right? This committee is a bad idea, the idea of the weaponization of the government. Republicans have consistently shown that they have no shame and that weaponization only matters when the government is investigating their own bad behavior. Here's the thing. It's not just the committee is bad. It's not just that it's going to be led by Jim Jordan. And I am sorry. In the name of the Ohio State Buckeyes wrestling team, I cannot fathom the idea of anybody saying that Jim Jordan should be in charge of an investigation. But beyond that, it's the idea that they will have access to all sorts of classified information that they could be funneling to Trump, that they could be funneling to insurrectionists. So it's not just the committee itself is a sham, but it's a way for them to get information from the House Intelligence Committee, which they will use to further the long-term coup. That is the real danger of this above and beyond the continued abuse and attempt to co-op the legacy of Martin Luther King.
3: Uh, let, let's play Jim Jordan. Here's a little bit of him. And again, I think to remind y'all, you're right. This is somebody who was allegedly implicated in crimes uh, that were committed by the coach he worked for against children. And he's someone who committed, uh, who, who participated in the insurrection. Just want to set that up for you. Here's Jim Jordan. Yes.
2: They went after us today on the floor. They said, this is political and we're going to fight it tooth and nail. Why? We're protecting the First Amendment. We're protecting the American people. Why would you fight a Democrat? I thought you guys embraced the Constitution like we all do, love the First Amendment and the rights we enjoy. That's what this is about, and we're going to do everything we can to protect American citizens' First Amendment liberties.
3: Congressman, uh, former Congressman Rooney, I'm going to bring you in here. I I thought you guys embraced the Constitution like we all do. This is somebody who participated in Donald Trump's attempts to overthrow the government. Love the First Amendment and the rights that we enjoin. This is the party that's telling people what they can and cannot read and saying they're not to talk about gay people's existence. Um, Protect the American citizens' rights, First Amendment liberties. This is literally about protecting Donald Trump and maybe about protecting Jim Jordan. Gordon and other members of Congress and receiving information, demanding information from the DOJ that might be investigating them. Your thoughts?
2: Well, there's a couple of things I'd like, like to say here, Joy. I think, first of all, the Republicans are at great peril to minimize January 6th and the impact of it. Yeah. And I don't think any rational human being can argue that Trump had a role. May not a le- Maybe not up to the level of a legal role, but it wouldn't have happened had there never been a Trump. No one would ever do anything like this if there had not been a Trump. So it may not be the proximate cause that the legal test requires, but it's a serious problem. So I think the Republicans are at a bit of a peril in, uh, by not uh, embracing it as Liz and Adam did. And, and actually, I think the Republicans made a big mistake by not getting on that committee when S- Speaker Pelosi offered them some seats. Now, on the other hand, nothing's always perfect. The FBI's got its spots. You mentioned some of them. Horrible. OK, I think that uh, a couple of years ago during the steel memo, Stroke and his girlfriend were a little out of parameter, a little personal, a little political. And, and I think Director McCabe said that and, and pushed him back. You know, nobody's perfect. They're all human. But at the end of the day, that's the D- Department of Justice that we have. That's the protector of an enforcer of our laws. And I think Merrick Garland's just as honorable guy as anybody else. I don't think attacking him personally is going to get the Republicans anywhere.
3: Well, let me ask you this, because the the, I think one of the big risks here is that the people on this committee, including Jim Jordan, could begin to demand—there's a separation of powers question here—to demand that the Justice Department turn over information that could involve investigations of members of Congress in order to protect themselves. This feels like the cover-up after the crime.
2: Yeah, I think there's a principle out there that the uh, the Justice Department, nor the SEC, has to turn over documents in an open investigation. So I think they could probably stop that in court.
3: Well, let me ask you this question, Jason, because, you know, uh, this is why I'm not involved. Jason's quite no better like- than me.
2: He's law professor, <laughs>
3: well, I mean, well, listen, I, I'm, I'm petty. So, like I, I, I can't be in Congress. I'm petty, because if, if Jim Jordan sent me a subpoena, I might say— when you answer yours, I'll answer that one. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, right. in your mind, just from right, a political right. standpoint, how should Democrats respond to this? Oh,
0: leave them all red. Right? Leave him on read. Like, I, I wouldn't respond to any of this. It's absolute nonsense. Hakeem Jeffries may decide that he wants to put certain people on the committee, but you notice that McCarthy has already said he won't give a committee spot to, to Raskin. He's afraid of Eric Swalwell, he's afraid of Ilan Omar. I mean, the, the whole thing is basically trying to make a cool kids' table with a bunch of nerds, <coughs> right? And, and that's what they're trying to do. They want to make this committee this cool table, but you're not gonna get national attention. You're not going to get 24 hours of coverage. You know why? Because you're not investing. Investigating anything that matters, I promise you whether it's somebody in the Midwest, New York City, the South, or Geek Squad at Best Buy. Nobody cares about Hunter Biden's laptop. And that's the kind of thing that they're going to want to investigate on a regular basis. So I think Democrats should ignore this committee, ignore the sort of corrupt and questionable people who are responsible for it, and focus on making sure they cannot get House intelligence information, because we know these things tend to magically show up in the hands of MAGA members, Republicans, and it might show up in some sort of back closet Mar-a-Lago if we're not careful. (laughs)
3: And on OANN, uh, let, uh, let me play Representative Byron Downs last night, because I thought what he said was quite an honest admission, um, that this is about revenge.
4: What we told Democrat leadership when they went down this this pathway of removing members from committee is basically saying you should not do that because if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. We were very clear in the 117th Congress. We should not be going down this pathway of saying, oh, that member said this. They got to be kicked off of committees. That is happening. No, 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 no. We're not. What we're doing is. So you did it. So, so now this is what happens. This is the response. Mm-hmm. Let's get back to the status quo of you pick your committee people. We'll pick ours, and we'll go from there.
3: Right, and that, it's obviously not that. I mean, this is a party congressman that is that is going after the IRS and has been mad at the IRS since the Obama era because they got a flood of people creating 501c3s and they dared to investigate it. And by the way, they investigated progressive ones too, but that doesn't matter. Then you've got the chairman of the House Oversight Committee calling Ukraine an adversary. The only reason you could possibly do that is because Ukraine defied Trump. It feels like the whole party is still trying to serve two purposes, vengeance And Trump. And I wonder what you make of that as a former Republican member of Congress. Well, I think
2: there's a fair bit of the Trump stuff in there. And it sounds that they're uh, uh, a little bit vengeful. That's not a good tone to use as a senior legislator. They should be a little more politic about it. And what Jason said about not being on the committee, I'm not sure I would agree with that. But what you said does show how corroded our system is in the last 30 or 40 years, because there was an analogy made to the Church Commission, which I worked on. OK, with, mm-hmm. with Howard Baker. And that was a commission where Howard, where, where Frank Church wanted to kill off the CIA. So what's Jordan want to kill off the DOJ or something? I don't know. But the Church Commission had Democrats and Republicans. Howard Baker had a full seat right. at the table. And when Bill Colby was interviewed, I was sitting right there with him. and And it was fair on both sides. And the American people got to hear both sides. If they want to do that kind of process, I think the Democrats ought to get on that committee and play ball.
3: I guarantee you if they wanted to have a genuine commission to look at the FBI and go from the Rooter to the tutor all the way back, you know, there are a lot of Black Lives Matter organizations that felt like, you know, they were being watched, anti-war organizations felt they were being watched during the, you know, the early aughts. You would get Democrats on there in a heartbeat because lots of folks, including a lot of civil rights people have been saying, yeah, there's issues, but these aren't the issues. Anyway, uh, Jason Johnson and former Congressman Francis Rooney, more proof that the, the nerd table is... The cool kids table. So thank y'all both very much. Uh, Up next on the readout Republicans paid a heavy political price in the midterms for attacking women's reproductive rights. But are they backing off? Nope, not a
5: chance. The readout continues after this. (laughs) Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care.
3: Alabama's attorney general is under fire today after saying that women could face prosecution for taking abortion pills. While the state's abortion ban explicitly says that those who receive the procedure cannot be held criminally liable, A.G. Steve Marshall said yesterday that anyone who uses pills to induce an abortion can still face consequences under the state's chemical endangerment of a child statute, which is a law that was made to protect children from the risks of at-home meth labs. The anti-abortion movement has begun zeroing in on restricting access to abortion pills after the FDA said last week that retail pharmacies can distribute the medication in states where it's legal. Politico is reporting that anti-abortion advocates are organizing pickets outside of CVS and Walgreens in early February in at least eight cities across the country, aiming to bring the same chants, signs, and tense confrontations to drugstore parking lots that groups have long used to try to deter visits to abortion clinics. Republicans are doing it in the House as well, passing a bill today that would protect babies, quote, born alive after late-term abortions, which medically is not a thing. It comes despite an election just a few months ago where protecting a woman's right to choose proved to be a massive motivator for voters and a losing issue for Republicans. And yet, they've learned nothing. Even Republican Congresswoman from South Carolina, Nancy Mace, is calling them out. This is probably not the
5: way to start off the
6: week. We should be looking at measures, for example, making sure every woman has access to birth control. If you really want to get serious about this issue and reduce unwanted pregnancies, well, I've got entire counties in South Carolina that don't have a single OBGYN doctor. Those are the issues that we really
3: need to be talking about. Joining me now is Democratic Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal from Washington. Congresswoman Nancy May sounds (laughs) pretty rational. Uh, uh, What do you make of the fact that even though abortion tanked Republicans' opportunity to take back the Senate, narrowed their House majority to a pittance, they're still doing it? Well, Joy, it's
6: hard to believe that they don't see the political landscape out there and aren't interested in protecting their members. I mean, good for Nancy Mace that she said what she said. And the reality is she's got to win re-election. Her state, the state Supreme Court in South Carolina, just caught, you know, just ruled that abortion is codified in their constitution, the right to abortion. And so I think that Republicans are on their extremist mega- extremist Republican agenda of criminalizing abortion without any exceptions. And they don't want to get off of that point. Well, if they keep doing that, They will lose women and families across this country because abortion is necessary economically. It's necessarily bodily autonomy and freedom is, uh, you know, is a big issue for families across this country. They're going to lose. But that's their extremist agenda and they're committed to pursuing it.
3: Let let, let me play Steve Scalise, uh, who's the second in command now in the House. Uh, Here he is about this born alive bill.
0: The baby's born alive outside the womb. In some states, they actually are allowing that baby to be killed and calling it abortion. It's murder.
3: And yet it's legal in some states. This is one of the most ridiculous things that I've ever heard. And I I mean, look, even back in the day, Liz Cheney used to say this, okay? This idea that that Democrats are for infanticide, that meaning you either have a baby and then they just kill it. That's infanticide. That is a crime. Uh, Or people get to eight months. They get right up to eight months and say, you know what? I oh, don't think I won't be pregnant no more. Oh, I'm gonna have an abortion. That's ridiculous. Let me, let me read you a, a little bit of a story from the New York Times. And this is what they're actually, you know, talking about. Um, and this is Dr. Jen Gunter, who's told the story of her water breaking at 22 weeks, which is just at the part where viability is barely even possible. The survival state for her triplets was less than, the survival rate for her triplets was less than 1%. As Alden's parents, we had decided that invasive procedures like intravenous lines in a breathing tube, in a one-pound baby, would be pointless medical care. And so, as we planned, Aiden died. And that is the reality for so many parents. Some have known for weeks or even months that there would be no life after birth. With that knowledge, some choose an abortion and others— the blanket and embrace. Both are brave decisions. The the, the idea that any woman is going to attempt an abortion at the time they're going to give birth is ridiculous. If you're giving birth at 22 weeks, you don't want to do that. This is a wanted child and you have to make decisions if the child is either already dead or going to die. They're classifying that as abortion, Congresswoman, and then passing a law about it.
6: No, that's right. It is really outrageous because newsflash <laughs> killing a baby is already illegal. It is murder. And so what they're doing is they're penalizing healthcare providers and criminalizing healthcare providers for providing necessary information. And Joy, look, this is personal to me. My baby was born at 26 and a half weeks. Okay. One pound, 14 ounces, this big. Doctors told me that my child was not going to survive, that I was probably not going to survive. I decided to go ahead with it, but and I was lucky. Beautiful 26-year-old now. But this is actually hurting our healthcare providers and our families who are trying to make very difficult decisions in the moment and it's trying to criminalize healthcare providers who just are providing the most important healthcare advice to their patients. So It's really outrageous. It's dangerous. And it's absolutely ludicrous. I would be laughing, except it's dangerous. And they're trying to penalize now women who are trying to get pills, um, as you said, in Alabama. And so this is an extremist agenda that is going to lose them the election. But it is also going to create a lot of fear and, um, you know, hurt a lot of women across this country, particularly for women, black, brown, indigenous women who already are uh, strained in terms of getting the services and the health care they need.
3: You know, and, and what I worry about as somebody who also has had—you know, I've had three of these little babies, little lovely babies. You know, and in my first pregnancy, right, I thought we were going into very, very early labor at a point where it would have been non-viable. And then doctors have to make a decision what they do. They can put some women—I know women who have been on bed rest, complete bed rest, because if you tried to give birth at that point, 20 weeks, 21 weeks, that baby won't make it. And so, you, you know, they do all of these life-saving things to try to stop that. I worry that now in states like Alabama, Louisiana— If doctors are confronted with a woman who's bleeding at 22 weeks, somebody who seems to be, it seems that the 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 baby inside has has passed away, isn't going to make it. They won't be able to treat them. They'll be too afraid to do anything because these men who don't even know women's anatomy are calling all of that abortion and trying to put women in jail and their doctors in jail.
6: No, that's exactly right. And this is why it comes down to freedom, something that Republicans say they stand for. But this is freedom for us to be able to take care of our own bodies to get the health care we need. And that is why over two thirds or almost two thirds of the country actually wants to have these protections in place. So uh, I think that I've heard directly from women and from uh, providers that this is going to hurt the practice of healthcare. This is going to hurt families from making good decisions. And honestly, it could hurt the health of women who are in these situations. Because I know in my case, when I started leaking at 22 weeks, my doctor said, we got to keep the baby in. We'll try to keep you exactly right. I was on bed rest. And I still was, you know, we didn't know exactly what was going to happen. That is frankly a decision that nobody should be involved in except me and my doctor and my loved ones. That's That's it. And um, this is, I think this is really an outrageous attempt to try to somehow classify Democrats in these terrible ways, but it's going to have the result of really hurting women across the country and health care providers who are just going to be scared to do what
3: they're supposed to do, even though or, this be- or, or leave or leave these states. Okay. I mean, you're going to start seeing doctors and nurses not want to practice in these states because they're too afraid, because this is big, 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 big government. Uh, Congresswoman already tech- by the way, they're already leaving. They're Texas. leaving. They're going to leave. Uh, Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal. Thank you, as always. Thank you. Still ahead. I mean, everybody lies on their resume, right? No, no, they don't. (laughs) More on Republicans' latest fiasco after this. They, They legitimately don't. Virtually all of the Republican leadership of New York's Nassau County and four House Republicans from New York are telling George Santos to get out of here.
2: George Santos' campaign last year was a campaign of deceit, lies, and fabrication. His lies were not mere fibs. He disgraced the House of Representatives. He has no place in the Nassau County Republican Committee, nor should he serve in public service,
3: nor as an elected official. He's not welcome here. Their calls for Santos' resignation were supported by the chairs of the New York Republican Party and the New York State Conservative Party. Back in November, Santos flipped to New York's 3rd District, which includes most of Nassau County and parts of Queens. We now know that Santos lied about his high school education, his college education, his business dealings, his philanthropic endeavors, his supposed Jewish heritage, and his employees allegedly dying in the Pulse nightclub shooting in order to win that seat. Santos is now being investigated by the offices of the New York Attorney General, the Nassau County District Attorney, the Queens District Attorney and federal prosecutors from the Eastern District of New York for his murky financial dealings and campaign funding, as well as by the government of Brazil. A complaint has also been filed with the Federal Election Commission alleging Santos illegally hid the source of the $700,000 he loaned to his campaign through a straw donor scheme. Two days ago, CNBC uncovered more lies. A member of Santos's political team impersonated Kevin McCarthy's chief of staff to help him raise campaign funds from wealthy GOP donors. Wait, that's not all. Donors also tell CNBC that Santos would flaunt key parts of his fabricated resume to donors so they would fund him. Meanwhile, back in Washington, the supposed guys in charge of Santos, Speaker Kevin McCarthy and House Majority Leader Steve Scalise, just want to Forget about it.
0: What do you intend no, to do about Congressman Santos? I try
1: to stick by the Constitution. The voters elected him to serve. If there is a concern and he has to go through the ethics, we'll let him move through that. Uh, but right now, the voters have, have a voice in the decisions, not where people pick and choose based upon what somebody's press has.
3: You, um,
0: so he will continue to serve. This is something that's being handled internally. Obviously, there were concerns about uh, what we had heard. And so we're going to have to sit down and talk to him about it.
3: Wow, what a threat. The ethics committee McCarthy mentioned has been neutered in the rules package, the rules packages they just passed. Meanwhile, Santos has refused to resign or even show any remorse. Why don't you answer our entrance. questions? be addressing the, you? Way? We'll to address the media soon. When? Just when is Sue? On my time.
5: Your time. time? I'm the people of New York.
3: On my time. Joining me now is Susan Del Percy, Republican strategist and MSNBC political analyst. Well, here it is, uh, my friend. Here's the resume. I don't know if y'all can see it. Uh, this is the resume. And we marked with little orange markers all the things that are wrong, that are lies. There we go. OK, there it is up on. The- you see that? <laughs> Most of this is is uh, bullpucky. Uh, And now we've had four House Republicans um, from New York calling on him to resign. I'm going to put their names up. You probably know all of these people. Anthony Desposito, congressman um, from New York 4. You've got Nick LaLota, who's a Suffolk County representative. You have Representative Brandon Williams of New York 22 and Representative Nick Langworthy.
7: In the end, can they force him out? Well, legally, I don't believe they can, but what they can do is completely isolate him and not give him any committees. And frankly, they can even bar him from caucus meetings. They can let him be out there on his own. By the way, Joe, I don't think this was on his resume under hobbies. He also said he played volleyball for the college, Baruch College, that he did not go to. So he made up hobbies. Who does this? He was probably hitting the ball from over the fence because he wasn't at the school. He just I'm gonna hit the ball, (laughs) hitting the ball. But But, I mean, the thing is, go on. Yeah, I was gonna say, is Nick Landworthy freshman congressman who's also the state party chairman. That is a very big call for him to make. And frankly, the fact that he's not pressuring McCarthy, he's saying, this is my state. You have the county guy and the state guy saying, no, he should resign, really should put a lot of pressure on McCarthy. I also happen to think that the Nassau County uh, organization is pretty nervous because Santos gave him $185,000 from, from, from where?
3: From where? And
7: and that Absolutely. now they're returning the money, but this goes down to donors and follow the money. And this, I think that Santos has a better chance of being com- convicted of a crime than being forced out of Congress.
3: Right, and because the thing is, Kevin McCarthy's already said he's going to put him on committees. He said he wouldn't put him on key committees, but he's still going to give him committee assignments. They're not locking him out. He's buddy-buddy now with Marjorie Taylor Greene, who basically is, you know, <laughs> the, the Kevin McCarthy's boss, you know, and so I don't see how they're they're not going to do anything to him. I mean, he, here's the other question. If he were to resign, what would happen is there'd be a special election. The governor, Governor mm-hmm. Kathy Holk, would have 10 Days to call a special election to replace him, but this is a swing district. He lost when he ran against Tom 55, fifty five forty three, two hundred eight thousand votes to one sixty one. When he won, he only got one hundred forty two thousand votes versus Robert Zimmerman, the incumbent. So, they, so this could be a loss of a seat, which is why Kevin McCarthy isn't going to touch him.
7: Absolutely, it probably would because the one thing I mean, besides it being a special election. When it came to the that 2022 election in New York, you had Lee Zeldin from Long Island running, so right. voter turnout was cranked up out on uh, Nassau and Suffolk. So he, that that won't exist for that seat. Plus, I think a lot of people are pretty disgusted with the Republican Party and what they put up, at least independents um, and and center right Republicans. So I. I think it would be they would lose a seat. And that's, of course, what Kevin McCarthy cares about. They can't afford to go. I mean, they're barely good at four than three. <laughs> well, and, and, and the reality is that
3: the next election, the reelect would be in a presidential year when you're going to have massive turnout among Democrats, even in a blue state like New York. The likelihood is this seat flips back, right?
7: Oh, absolutely, and the Nassau County GOP chairman already said that he will not endorse and does not. Now, this is before he called for the resignation, but sure. he would not support Santos's reelection. So he would really have to do it all on his own with legal money, which I'm right. guessing turns out to be <laughs> about twenty-two fifty. Right. And and whatever money he has left, his old
3: landlords probably want that because he didn't pay his rent and they want their money. Give them their money. It's it's really wild. This guy literally is like a walking crime scene. And even in Brazil, they're coming for him. What a time to be alive. Susan Del Percio, my friend, thank you for being here uh, in this very, very wild time. (laughs) Coming up next, that awkward moment when Republican talking points come face to face with cold, hard truth. We're back after this. If you saw the readout last night, you saw Republican Congressman Byron Donalds of Florida make this claim. Do you know that Social Security
4: is going to be insolvent
3: in 2035? It is not going to be. That is not true. That That is is actually actually not true. Okay, the thing he said there that is true is the date, 2035. But Social Security is not going bankrupt. 2035 is the year Social Security trustees say that its trust funds will be depleted. But again, Social Security is not and will not be bankrupt. Okay, now this is the part where I ask you to take out your phones and hit record so you can tell a friend or your Fox viewing uncle the facts. Okay? Get your phones out. Here we go. Social Security pays benefits to people who paid in via that FICO tax thing that you see on your paycheck. And they pay that from two sources, a massive trust fund that builds up over time and from current payroll taxes. So that even if the trust fund is depleted, money is still coming in. And as long as people are working and paying payroll taxes, money coming in means benefits will be paid out, even after 2035. Okay, hopefully that clears that up. But Congressman Donald made a case for something conservative and libertarian billionaires and the right in general have wanted for a really long time. You are in favor of privatizing Social Security. No, I'm not in favor of it. But you just argued it. for it. I said, okay. you, you, you just brought it up for it. and I
4: brought you the facts. But so, you argued, S&P 500 so if a bill came forward to privatize Social Security, you'd be for it? No, because what we should be okay. doing— oh, Then it's a moot point. Then it's you're a moot It's not a move point. You're trying to put words in my mouth. I'm but trying to But you just explained policies. that the S&P
3: would be S&P a better return than Social Security. So then you p 500 would better returns That is a
4: fact. Don't cheapen privatization when the data is crystal clear that the returns would have been better. Okay, you're for it. You've said that you're for it. That means that it would have been a better situation than what Year we've four. seen to this L- point.
5: Voila.
3: <laughs> OK, privatizing Social Security has long been a goal of the right and a major one for the Tea Party. Here's Republican Senator Mike Lee back in 2010.
0: It will be my objective to phase out Social Security, nice. to pull it up by the roots and get
5: rid of it. <laughs> there are, there
3: phase out Social Security and pull it up by the root. But the talking point goes back way before that. Here is President George W. Bush after his re-election in 2004.
2: Let me put it to you this way. I earned capital in the campaign, political capital, and now I intend to spend it.
3: Got capital. Bush used his so-called political capital to aggressively push a plan to partially privatize Social Security. It was so broadly unpopular that despite Republican majorities in both houses of Congress, it was never even brought up for a vote. <laughs> Joining me now is Democratic Congressman Rajat Krishnamurthy of Illinois. Congressman, it is so great to see you in person. Same here. Thank you. This is what's fun about being a, a D.C. show, is that we get to meet, to see you guys in person. OK, so let's go through this just for a moment. This idea that Social Security is drying up on the vine and that it's just going away, please explain, uh, if I did not do so thoroughly enough, how, why that is not only not true, but actually dangerous to the program.
1: Oh, it's it's just false. It's a it's a lie. Um, you know, it's about as true as George Santos having stormed the beaches of Normandy. Joy, um,
3: <laughs> wait, you know, mean, he didn't <laughs> storm the
1: beaches of Normandy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think the true the truth of the matter is that um, around 2035, just as happened many times in the past, including in 1986, because of demographic changes, adjustments will be made to make sure that Social Security is there for the next generation. Uh, President Biden has put forward, and many others have. Uh, the proposal to raise the cap on the uh, income subject to Social Security, right now the cap is about $160,000. Mm-hmm. So for people who earn much, much more than that, and there are a lot of folks that do, uh, they don't pay taxes on most of their income, unlike most Americans. Yeah. So that's a, a common-sense proposal that actually most Republicans support.
3: Well, so, and just to explain, just so, so that people understand that, you pay that FICO tax on the first $160,000 of your income, right. even if you make a bazillion dollars. Right. Everybody who makes a bazillion dollars, they don't pay taxes because they get that as a business. But let's right. just say you earned a paycheck that Correct. was $4 million. You Correct. only pay on 160. If you just inch that up, you'd fix it. One of the other issues is that if you look, I just want to put up a little chart. I love charts and graphs. I'm a nerd. Um, And it shows what what has to be spent by the federal government. There's the kind of spending that is discretionary, meaning defense spending, which is a big chunk of that. There's things like social programs, food stamps, things like that. But then there's Social Security and Medicare. They're not discretionary, right? It's not like the government could say, you know what? We feel broke and we're not going to pay it. They have to pay it.
1: That's right. I mean, this is something that as you know, is like vital yeah. for most Americans. It turns out that something like half of Americans rely on social security for half of their income. And so we're talking about maybe 20 million Americans who would go into poverty if Social Security weren't there for them. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's so vital for us to make sure that we keep our promise. Uh, and because it's a mandatory spending program, right. we have to under the law.
3: Under the law, and, and, you know, Chile tried this. Uh, I think even during Pinochet, they tried right. it. And even he said, no, that's that's going too far. Right. right. Because it was a disaster. What wound up happening is that if you took that Social Security trust fund, handed it to Wall right. Street firms, which they would love to get their hot little hands on it, and they gambled it in the stock market and
1: then lost it. Well, they like would still at last, get their fees. Well, look at last year. Yes. Uh, the, the S&P was down 20%. That's right. So just imagine if we had invested that Social Security trust fund in the stock market in any given year yeah. and you experienced that type of loss, what you'd see is what you saw in the United Kingdom when they attempted to do something similar, That's which right. is bailouts. That's the government right. ends up bailing out these funds. Yes. We go into a further debt yeah. and we're worse off than where we are right now.
3: And so so this is my challenge, is that Republicans are not having a real debate on this. Some of them are saying, like Lindsey Graham did, that we should raise the retirement age, I don't know, 77 or 99 or whatever, (laughs) so no one ever gets it. You have people who want to privatize it. The one thing they don't—the two things they don't want to talk about, right now you're about two workers for every retiree. Because it's basically—it used to be three to one. There were three people actively working to pay for one retiree. It's now two to one. Immigration would fix that. You know what? A little tax you,
1: increase, a little immigration will fix it. You you, you hit the nail on the head. I'm, I'm a legal immigrant myself. I'm, I'm from India. I came here when I was three months old. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we're down by millions of immigrants right now. That's right. These are younger workers, people who pay into the system, support our social safety net. The other thing that we have to do, Joy, is... Today, only one-third of Americans have a four-year college degree. For Mm -hmm. the two-thirds of Americans who do not, we have to absolutely upskill their earning potential. That's right. That's right. You upskill their earning potential. Guess what? Yeah. They're able to pay more taxes, earn more money themselves, and support the social social safety net. So that's another uh, key reform that we need.
3: I think one other thing I would love for the Democrats to do is stop calling it entitlements. This is something people paid into. It's something— It's their money. It's their money that they're getting back for having paid into the system. It would be
1: like me and, you know, the money in your wallet, that's an entitlement.
3: Thanks. Thank you, Congressman. Thank you. I love having this conversation with somebody who actually cares about the issue. Uh, Congressman Rajak Krishnamurthy, thank you very much. Thank you so that's much, Thank you. Uh, and coming up, the, think the climate crisis is your grandkids' problem? Think again. There are at least 18 grieving families in California who know better. We'll be right back. Thank you. So climate change— is not a future threat. It's here, right now. And California is the latest to feel it full-on. The state's been facing a deluge of atmospheric rivers, large bands of moisture causing extreme weather. California is a huge state, and these storms are affecting 90 percent of it, from flooding and unrelenting wind in Southern California to snowstorms in the Sierra Mountains. At least 18 people have died from the storms. That's more than the loss of life from wildfires over the past two years. Sinkholes are swallowing cars whole. Mudslides pose a constant threat. And authorities are in their third day of searching for a five-year-old boy who was swept away when the car he and his mother were in was overrun by floodwaters. The mother was rescued, but they couldn't reach the child. And this is Far from over. Forecasters expect at least three more atmospheric rivers to drench the state over the next eight days. The devastation of the storms is directly linked to climate change. As The Washington Post notes, rising global temperatures are making the region drier, hotter, and more fire-prone. But they also increase the likelihood of sudden, severe rainfall that the state isn't ready for. Every one degree Celsius increase in temperature allows air to hold 7% more moisture. The storms are likely to cost California a billion dollars. This comes as we learned this week that extreme weather cost the U.S. $165 billion in 2022. And there's been a whole slew of bad headlines, with scientists concluding that the past eight years were the hottest on record. Oceans surging to a record high, which fuels extreme weather. And the Great Salt Lake on the verge of collapse, which will expose millions of people to toxic dust. Everything is clearly fine. Not a climate dumpster fire at all. And we're talking California, a state that actually has been taking action to address the climate crisis. But even that is clearly not enough. And Congress and the rest of the country needs to start taking this seriously, or it's just going to get worse. The more you know. And that's the readout.